Welcome to His Church Owensboro Podcast. We are so excited about what God is doing in your life, and we would love to hear from you. Visit us at hischurch.cc and let us know about all of the things that God is doing in your life. If you have been blessed by this podcast and would consider supporting us financially, please visit hischurch.cc and click on Give to see the many options available. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message blesses you. a Bible on you tonight, I want you to go ahead and open it up, and we're going to go to the Gospel of St. John, the Gospel of St. John, and I just want to do a little teaching out of the Gospel of St. John and show you the ministry and the flow of Jesus. So it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth book in the New Testament, and we're going to go to John chapter 4, John chapter 4, and uh, I'll show you what Jesus is doing as he's traveling here and how he ministers, now the flow of God comes out of him because he is the Son of God, but the Son of God anointed by the Spirit. All right, John chapter 4, verse 1, and whenever you're there tonight, go ahead and say, "Uh uh-huh, John 4, verse 1. We're going to read through a few verses here, and then I'll teach for a while. Uh, Here's what it says. It says this, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples... Then he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Come on, everybody say he needed to go. Needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour, which is around noon in the day. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, and drank it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become to him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight that we have a fountain that springs up, not just to life today, but we have a fountain today that springs up into everlasting life. Father, I thank you that we don't have to go anywhere else to find life, that life's right here on the inside of us because we are born again. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you are in us and on us and around us. Lord, we thank you that there's life going into every household, into every mind, into every intellect, into every body, into every soul, into every spirit. We receive your life. It is here. And we thank you that living water quenches every thirst in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And the church said amen tonight. Uh, The first thing it says, it says in, in the scripture we just read that the Pharisees started to realize that Jesus was baptizing more people than even John the Baptist. And so Jesus recognizes he needs to leave Judea at this time. 
probably because he knows the Pharisees are going to begin to set up and to try to make attempts on his life. Uh, one thing you know whenever you're reading the Gospel of John, it's not put together in chronological order. It's organized around seven miracles and seven I am statements where Jesus say, says things like, I am the bread of life. Whenever he says, I am, he's borrowing something from the Old Testament where God himself shows up, right, to Moses and says, I am that I am. God is the great I am. Whenever Jesus says, I am, to a Jewish audience, it means I am God. How many of y'all believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus is God. Come on, give God a hand clap. We believe that, right? So it's organized, Around seven statements and then, and, and then seven miracles, the book of John is. And so Jesus recognized that the Pharisees, they're going to take a shot at his life. They're gunning for him, right? They're jealous of him is while they're gunning at him. Most of the time in life, whenever somebody starts taking shots at people, how many of you have recognized that typically it's because they're jealous of them? Right? Goes all the way back to the playground, doesn't it? On the playground, Right? Uh, that, that kid that, that, that has an edge on you a little bit in life or you perceive that they do, it's real easy as a young kid to try to cut that person down to bring you up in life. And we've all done it. We've all been guilty of it. Uh, a lot of us have done it this week somewhere, somehow, right? The playground happens for the rest of your life. How many recognize most of us have not yet graduated from the playground? We still want people to like us. Can I get an amen? We still want to get picked Nobody likes to be the last kid picked in a ball game, right? We're still looking for all of that. And that stuff was working, and Jesus saw they were jealous of him. And he says that he needs to leave now. And the Bible says he's going to go down from Judea, from the region right around Jerusalem to Galilee, where he grew up, the Sea of Galilee area, or, or where a lot of his ministry was. Grew up in Nazareth, but was ministering out of the Sea of Galilee area. And the Bible says that he had to go through a, a certain region. It says this, it says Particularly, he needed to go through Samaria. Come on, everybody say he needed to go. What's interesting if you study this is most Jews during the days of Jesus would never go through Samaria. They did everything they could do to avoid that neighborhood. They tried to get their gas somewhere else. How many of you, when you're traveling to St. Louis, how many of you, and you need gas in your car, do you try to plan that trip and stop and get your fuel in East St. Louis? Or do you try to get it out somewhere in the country before you get there or over on the west side? Come on, can I get an amen out there? Why? Right? Because you perceive East St. Louis as a dangerous place, and you would be correct by perceiving such things, right? Uh, I ran out of gas once in East St. Louis. It was quite an adventure, right? Had a, had a big time there, and God was faithful, and here I am. But um, uh, that's what I'll, I'll say. All right, you didn't stop and you didn't go through Samaria if you were a Jew. Why? Because the people of Samaria were seen as unclean. They were seen as uh, religious sellouts. They were seen as even, they would call them half-breed dogs. The Jews wouldn't that day. They were the, the scum of the earth in Jewish mentality. And even to pass through the land of Samaria would be to defile yourself if you were to contact a Samaritan in the wrong way. We as Christians have heard the story of the Good Samaritan. So we think now Samaritan, good. 2,000 years ago, if you were a Jew, you heard Samaritan, go ahead and look at your neighbor and say bad. Just tell them that bad, right? Generally, that's the way they perceived it. Why did they see the Samaritans as such bad people? Well, 
The Samaritans took some of the concepts of Judaism, right? They, they, they came, they had an early start with the Jewish people, some of them probably even uh, out of the tribes of Israel, and then they, they began to intermarry with other faiths. There was a group of people called the Assyrians that came and took uh, the Jewish nation in the north into captivity. They began to mingle their ideas with the ideas of the Jews themselves. And so instead of having a pure worship of God, according to the first five books of the Bible, the Samaritans had a different religion that was different from the Jews. It was close, but it was different. And there were things that they taught that the Jews abhorred. For a Jew, the most sacred place in the world is Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. Now I'm telling you, the Temple Mount is still a sacred spot and it's something worth standing up for. That ground belongs to Israel and I'm telling you, God's still eyes still on it. It's on it right now. Come on, we're a church. We believe and we support the nation of Israel strongly. I believe that. Um, but back in that day, the Jews worshiped on the mount in the temple. All right, the Samaritans, they had another mount that they believed was the place you were to sacrifice and worship. And to sacrifice and worship on that mount was sacrilege to the Jew. So nobody goes through Samaritan territory. No religious observant Jew would be caught dead in this area. What I love about Jesus is Jesus says, where everybody else said you couldn't go, you shouldn't go, and you won't go, Jesus says he knew he needed to go there. Come on, church. How many of y'all believe that the church needs to go somewhere that the religious won't go, they think they can't go, they think they shouldn't go? We're called to go there. God wants light in dark places. Just putting more light on top of light does no good. Putting light where the darkness is changes the environment, Right? You walk into a room full of Christians, there's a time for that. We need fellowship. We need, we need to be together. Come on, we need to rally the troops. How many are thankful for the church where we get to rally the troops? Let's give God a hand clap for our church tonight. It's, it's powerful on a Wednesday night. You're with like kind, right? There's power in that. But then there's a time you, you, you're with the light. There's a time to step away from the light and to walk out into the darkness. And that's typically where you're of the most benefit. Somewhere where it's dark, somewhere where people are hurting, somewhere where people need the message of Jesus. Jesus, by nature, models that. He says, I need to pass through the land of Samaria. And he walks straight through Samaritan. The Jews would go way around. They'd walk many more miles to not defile themselves. Jesus walks right through it, and he goes to a town called Sakar, And he goes and he sets down by a historic well, all right, this well. And if you read a well, about a well in the Old Testament, all right, what typically happens at a well in the Old Testament is it's a man finding a woman. I used to say it would be like going to a nightclub, but nobody goes to nightclubs anymore. It would be like a dating app now, right? That's, that's where people uh, meet one another. Think about it. The patriarchs, where do they find their wives? Come on, somebody. It's a type. It shows up again and again in Jewish literature, right? Anointed, inspired, word of God. It's a type. They find their women at the well. Jesus goes to a well. Think about a Jewish audience reading this Bible. He gets to chapter four. Jesus goes to a well and a woman shows up. Everybody's thinking this is where it is. This is where Jesus takes his wife, if you're looking to it through a Jewish perspective. We don't think about that in the Gentile world, but that's the way the literature's written. And so it's like, what's gonna happen here, right? What's going on? Um, by the way, just of note, do y'all know the whole dating world has completely changed? Right? 
I was talking to some like 20 year olds about how you go on a date now. And I'm like, back, I'm 41. All right. If you want to go on a date back in the day, you got your courage up, right? You walked across the room, you met a woman, and you said, I like you, I would like to take you out. And I think that seems like an appropriate way to do it. They say if you do it now, you're like the biggest creep in the world. You're overaggressive. So they say all that happens in the cyberspace before you ever walk across the room and say hi to a woman. All right, it's crazy, but that's the way it works. And uh, that, that's what I hear, and you get vetted in cyberspace first. So, so Jesus shows up at the well, and a woman shows up. Now think about this. Uh, this Jewish man is especially not supposed to be with this Samaritan woman at the time. It's a big time no-no. And he walks up, the woman sitting there. It's noon, it's in the middle of the day. Water drawing time in the culture back then at any time of the day is not noon. It's early in the morning. She's there at noon. What is this woman coming out to the well for at noon? Jesus is by the well because he's traveling. Why is she there in the middle of the day? It's time you get out of the sun. It's time you hunker down. You don't want to be in the sun in the east at 12 o'clock in the day. This woman's there. It's also interesting from the city she's in, she's not at the most readily available source of water to her city. She actually walked out of town a few miles to go get water. Who walks an extra couple of miles to go get water? There's a well right there by the town she's in. She goes outside of town. She's at a weird time at a weird well for a woman from her city. Why is she out there? Well, she's out there because she's trying to miss the crowd. She doesn't want to see anybody else. She doesn't want to see the women from her village anymore. Why? Her reputation's been marred. Her life's been messed up. She's been marked. She's been labeled. They're not dealing with her anymore. She's seen as someone that's unclean. She's been rejected. The Bible says she's been married five times, and the man that she's with at this time is not her man, but she's just living with this guy. So she tries to get out there where she doesn't have to see anyone. She's trying to avoid human contact because she's been touched by rejection. What's interesting is what the world rejects, Jesus shows up and he redeems it. How many are thankful that our God redeems what the world has rejected? Amen? Come on, are you thankful he redeemed you? I'm thankful, but he redeemed me. The world's rejected this woman. Jesus is there to redeem her. And he sits down and he strikes up a conversation. And he, he says, can you get me some water? Ask of me to drink. She's blown away. He says, what in the world are you, a Jew, doing asking of me to bring you water? I know that you're not supposed to have any dealings with me. I mean, there's real beef between these two people. It's like, it's like a skinhead and a Jew sit down beside each other, right? It's like a Klansman and a Black Panther sitting together at a well. It's, it's totally, it's totally on, on, on tense territory. Jesus walks over and says, hey, why don't, you, why don't you get me a drink? And she says, wait a minute, you're not supposed to have anything to do with me. And he looks back at her and he says, listen, if you knew who was here, you would ask of me for water and I would give you water and it would be, it would be living water. Come on, somebody say living water. See, it's a living, it's an eternal water. All throughout the Bible, there are multiple types of water. Living water is moving water, right? If water sets in the desert, gets hot, sets in one place, it becomes stale or not running water. When it runs, it's living. There's life in it. It brings you real help. 
And, and he says, if you knew the gift of God, you would say to me, give me a drink, and you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Think about this. This woman is thirsty. She's thirsty physically. She's at the well, but she's thirsty spiritually, isn't she? She's been looking to fill a thirst in all sorts of different places. And I don't know about you, but I spent my time trying to quench my thirst. And I looked a lot of different places to try to get some thirst quenched some way. And it kept coming up dry, coming up empty. You know, you see people, they, they try to quench a, theor- a, a spiritual thirst with some material thing. But a material thing never has the power to quench a spiritual thirst. You see, some people, they, they run to the mountain of success or the, the water of the success of this world trying to quench their thirst. And I'm not against success. I'm pro-success. I believe that we, the people of God, ought to embrace success, push our children for success. Come on, somebody. We're the church. We're going after success. Nothing wrong with that. I'm for that. I'm believing God that our kids are more successful than any of us have ever been. Come on, let's give God one more hand clap. I believe I'm for that. But success will not quench a spiritual thirst. Doesn't have the power to quench it, does it? Doesn't matter how many degrees you get. Doesn't matter how many companies you build. Doesn't matter how much money you accumulate. I've watched family members win empires and still be just as empty sitting on top of an empire as they were before they ever got started. Because that material thing cannot quench that spiritual thirst. This woman went to relationships to quench her spiritual thirst. I'm telling you, there's not a person out there that can quench your spiritual thirst with a human relationship. Can I get an amen? Doesn't matter how how hot they are, come on. Doesn't matter how, how cool they are. Doesn't matter what they look like on their Instagram account. It's all Photoshopped anyway, right? It doesn't matter. None of that's reality. Being with them might even, uh, there might be a thrill with it for a little while, but after a while, I promise you, there'll be a day when the thrill is gone. Now, that's never happened between me and Jesse, right? It would never happen here. But, but for the rest of you, that's probably real, right? No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm trying to dig my way out right now. I just thought about what I was saying. So here's what we know. Uh, there's no way that, that I can fulfill Jesse's spiritual needs. I'm a man. Not God. There's no way she can fulfill mine, right? She's a human, not divine. And I watch people that don't get all of that right. Man, they start running to, to relationship after relationship. Bad decision after bad decision. You can teach about it. You can coach about it as a pastor, right? Some people keep running back to the same glass. And it's like, listen, we're telling you, Last time you thought you could find a guy that would make you whole on the inside. You went outside of the church and you went to the world and you thought you could convert them and their, their, their ideologies weren't your ideologies, right? Their standards weren't your standards. Your morality wasn't your morality. And you bought in and it destroyed your life last time and now you finally shook that curse off your life and it's not two weeks later and I watch you walk back into the same curse God just delivered you from. Aren't you tired of drinking from broken down fountains? Come on, somebody. I've watched it happen again and again. Just, just that inability to be coached away from a, a, a false thirst. 
right? It can be relationships. It can be success. It can be, for a lot of younger kids, it's the party world. They think that's going to do it for them. You get over that pretty young in life because you hurt too bad in the morning, right? But it, it, never, it never, ever quenches. There is one water, though, I promise you, it will quench, and it never runs dry. Come on, somebody. The people you're in a relationship, they might pass away, but I'm going to tell you this water is here to stay. It's not a, a, a temporal water. It is an eternal water. It's not a temporal relationship. It is an eternal relationship. It's not something that's momentary. It's something that goes on and on. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. When it comes in your life, it'll quench your thirst. How many of y'all would testify out there that the power of God has changed your life? Can I get an amen? Come on, come on. It's just the truth of God. And he comes up and he says this. He says, whoever drinks of this water that I'll give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman says, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst or have to come here. And... Um, he goes on and, and Jesus turns the situation because now he's proving he's divine. He's proving that God's there. And he looks at her and he says, would you call your husband by the word of knowledge, right? Call your, call your husband. Bring him, bring him here. And she's probably a little embarrassed now because he just opens up what she's trying to skirt around by being miles away from her home in the heat of the day trying not to have to deal with this real issue. Here's what, here's what the kingdom of God does require of us. There's a version of the kingdom that's no longer taught in America. Because I'm telling you, God's a forgiving, loving, generous, gracious God. Can I get an amen out there? But he's also a God that has some things he requires of us. And he's going to require of us to deal with our issues of sin and to repent. We still believe in repentance around here? That's I have to repent of the things I've done. And Jesus comes right at it, right? It's one of the first things he gets to. He's asking for water. He's telling her there's eternal water. There's life. There's a real life that can change you. And I'll give it to you if you'll ask of it from me. Then right after that, he goes right after that core problem in this woman's life. Comes right after the issue. Comes right after the root. Most of us don't want the root touched, right? Talk around it, talk about the problems, but don't talk about that real issue. And we have a hard time even defining or copping to it anymore, right? We don't say I sin much anymore. We say I made a mistake. And there's a difference than a mistake and a sin. I get an amen. I've made mistakes before and I've sinned as well. And they're different. And I think owning that and saying that, man, there's freedom in it. So Jesus says, bring me, bring me the person you're married to. And she says, well, she kind of gets silent. And he says, you can't because I know. And now the prophetic starts operating. He says, because you've been married five times and the person you're with right now is not your, uh, the person you're married to. And uh, this is, you know, this is reality where a lot of people are in life too. This is like this is like my grandpa, you know. It's kind of this is life. Uh, I tease on grandpa. I tease grandpa's in his nineties. I love my grandpa, but he went through a lot of women, and then he would try to give you advice about women, right? And it's like, why in the world would I ever listen to you about a woman? Would you please leave me alone about this? Talk, tell me about a horse. Tell me about a, a farm. Tell me about a business trade. Let's not talk about women. I'm not taking my advice from you there, right? And, and so she starts to realize 
that he's a prophet. He turns around and says, she says, man, you're a prophet. And he goes on and he says, yeah, and the hour's coming. The end of the text, I'm almost out of time. But he says, she, she starts talking about how you should worship and all of these ways you worship. And he says this, he says, the hour's coming where it won't be about worship in Jerusalem and it won't be about worship on the mountain where your fathers worship. But the hour is coming where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. By the appropriate spirit and by the truth of the word of God, both things matter. And he says, you get that in, I'm telling you, there's eternal everlasting life that's flowing to you. I want you to know tonight there's eternal everlasting life that's flowing in us. Can I get an amen? If you're born again, the Bible says it's a fountain springing up into everlasting life. I want to remind the believers in the room tonight, you know, we live in a dry, dusty world, don't we? I mean, it's dry, it's dusty, and it's broken. There's a lot of problems in this world, a lot of problems with the relationships you have, a lot of problems probably in your own families, lots of problems uh, in the workplace, lots of problems around. And the dust of this world can start to make you forget that there's a fountain not on the outside somewhere, but there's a fountain on the inside. There's a fountain springing up into everlasting life. So it doesn't matter how dusty, how dry the world gets around me. I'm telling you, there's a fountain on the inside of me. And all I have to do to take a drink is I just draw on this fountain that's right here. And as long as I remember that the fountain's right here, I don't have to look to some false fountain out here somewhere because it's already here on the inside of you. I'm telling you, church, you have a fountain of power. You have a fountain of love. You have a fountain of grace. You have a fountain of mercy. You have a fountain of joy. You have a fountain of peace. You have a fountain of provision. You have a fountain of the goodness of God. There's a fountain on the inside of you, and it brings everlasting life. And if you'll believe it by faith and walk in it and operate in it, I'm telling you, you don't have to be dry another day. Come on, somebody. It's an eternal relationship. Just stand up on your feet with me for one moment. Just stand up on your feet with me. It's an eternal relationship. Come on, let's just take one moment and thank him for that fountain. I want you right out of your heart just to begin to thank him for that fountain. Father, we thank you tonight for that fountain. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to be dry another day in our life. If you're comfortable with it, you may want to lift a hand to heaven. We thank you that, that we don't have to live like that anymore. We have to look for something else to fill us, something else to heal us, something else to make us whole. I'm already whole in you. Lord, there's eternal life coming up and out of my spirit. Lord, I thank you that you put that in our remembrance, Father. Let us not forget that. There's life coming up and out of us. The life of God, the help of God, the health of God, the salvation of God flowing in us and through us and around us. Lord, let that water flow, 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 flow in these, my brothers and my sisters, tonight, I pray. God, I pray right now that that eternal life is coming and it's, it's taking out the dryness of depression. Say depression is leaving lives tonight by that, that eternal life, that water. I think if there's a fountain of healing in the midst of that, if you need healing in your body, just lift a hand to heaven right now. We, we come against every sickness, every malady, every disease. Come on, if you see somebody around you with a hand lifted up, believers, just lay your hands right on their shoulder. Begin to pray for them. Release that fountain of healing. I declare a fountain of healing into your physical body. 
fountain of healing be made whole in your body from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. We say that that healing flow, that river comes right into you. Be made whole in your body. Let that fountain go, 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 go into them, I pray. In the name of Jesus, be made whole, be changed, be reshaped, rearranged. I declare a fountain of healing is flowing into your life in Jesus' mighty name. If you need supernatural provision right now, there's a fountain for provision. Father, I pray you meet my brothers and my sisters' needs by a fountain of provision in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Also, I want you to know that there's a fountain of forgiveness. A fountain of forgiveness. Just like that woman had something that was brought to the top and she received Jesus, confessed him as Savior, her life was changed that day. But I'm telling you, that same forgiving Jesus is alive and well right now. And he has forgiveness and grace and mercy for all of us. It's not a God that's pointing at you with a finger to judge you. It's a God that's saying, come to me. I'll clean you up. I'll help you. I'll put you back together. With every head bowed, every eye closed right now. If anyone's out there that says, Pastor, I need to be born again. I need the forgiveness you're talking about. I need my life changed like that. Pastor, pray for me. I need my life changed like that. Would you pray for me tonight? If that's you and you're out there and you say, Pastor, I need that. I need that. I need forgiveness. Or maybe you were right with God years ago and you're far from him now. You need to rededicate your life. Man, this moment's designed for you. If that's you, whenever I count to three, I want you just to lift your hand up right where you are, and we're gonna pray with you right where you are in your seat. Come on, don't put it off. This is your moment. One, two, this is, this is it. Just lift up your hand. Three, pastor, pray for me. Include me in that prayer. Include me in that prayer. Pastor, pray for me tonight. Pray for me tonight. Pray for me tonight. Pray for me tonight. Got one more moment to wait for you. One more moment to wait for you. One more moment to wait for you. Well, come on, let's say this out loud. Say this. Say, Father, I thank you that there's a fountain of forgiveness, of grace, of mercy, of healing, of joy, of peace, of faithfulness flowing out of me. And I thank you that it's springing up into eternal life. I declare the life of God in my body, in my mind, in my spirit, and in my household. I thank you, Father, for living water. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, 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 amen. Praise the Lord.